Are you a healthcare professional who would like to hear from experts in the field of pain care? Or maybe you are caring for a family member who is experiencing pain or health challenges and you would like more information. Perhaps you are a healthcare educator who wants to better inform your students or staff. Then you are in the right place. This is Faces of Pain Care, the show where we interview experts in the field of pain care. And now, the co-creator of the Wong Baker Faces Pain Rating Scale and the executive director of the Wong Baker Faces Foundation, Connie Baker. Hello and welcome to Faces of Pain Care. I'm Connie Baker. One of the parts of my job that uh, I really enjoy is reviewing the requests from researchers wanting to use the Wong Baker Faces Pain Rating Scale in their studies. Hundreds of research projects are taking place around the world using our scale, but what impresses me most are the people taking on projects that are making a real impact in how we approach illness and healing. Today's guest is one of those people. Dr. Zumbal Zahid is a resident physician in internal medicine at Lenox Hill Hospital in New York City. She completed her medical training at New York College of Osteopathic Medicine and her undergraduate education at Barnard College of Columbia University. She was written, has written for the Practical Pain Management Magazine on supplemental techniques for decreasing cancer-related pain and worked on research projects exploring organ-sparing radiation treatments in an effort to enhance palliative benefit from such therapies. Through her patient experiences, Dr. Zahid has seen that proper pain management has the power to decrease patient suffering and increase quality of life. Her ultimate goal is to help people realize that the fight against cancer-related pain is a team approach. Physicians, counselors, therapists, trainers, families, and of course, patients themselves should all take advantage of the therapeutic options available and work together to create an ideal pain management plan for affected individuals. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Sahid. It's been a real uh, pleasure to get to know a little bit about your work, and I look forward to hearing what you have to say to our listeners. Thank you for the generous introduction. Oh. My pleasure. So tell me a little bit about what the work that you do and how you came to this work. So uh, currently I'm a resident physician. I'm in my first year and a lot of the patients that I deal with, um, we're talking like general medicine. It's not only cancer patients, but in relation to the research work I've done in the past and um, the article that I wrote for uh, Practical Pain Management magazine, it, it had specifically to do with cancer patients um, and pain management uh, in that population. And that's because it's been really well studied in general. Um, because cancer is something that affects people on a global scale. It doesn't care about age. It doesn't care about gender. Um, and there just have been a variety of studies that show all sorts of complementary measures to the standards of care that we already know. And I kind of found myself interested in that because that's not something they teach you in medical school. That's actually not something they teach you in residency training either. It's just something you have to educate yourself about the other resources available out there other than just pain medication, chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, that kind of medical stuff that we learn. Mm-hmm. So you've just taken it upon yourself to really explore this area more. What brought you to that, to your interest in cancer? 
So I think that there were a number of things that got me looking into cancer specifically and then eventually wanting to pursue a hematology oncology fellowship. Uh, the first being that we actually have breast cancer in my family. Uh, we had an aunt affected at a very early age and uh, ended up passing away from it, leaving four children behind. Mm. And at that time, I was a college student, already knew I was going to medical school, had already gotten in at that point, And she just really, the kind of effects um, after her death really made me think about the need for social support and the need for kind of considering people's emotions um, when it comes to these medical diagnoses. And I think that's how I first got myself involved. And then I was fortunate enough uh, to pursue an elective at Memorial Sloan Kettering, which uh, most people know is kind of premier and standard care, at least in uh, New York, um, if not in the U.S. in general. Or the world. And, or the world. <laughs> um, yeah, I won't be humble there. Um, and I got to spend over a month there, uh, basically rotating through the hospital and rotating through clinics and hearing about people's research, attending lectures. And they have uh, Integrated Medicine Institute where they take all sorts of um, basically complementary measures, whether it has to do with like using herbal medicine, acupuncture, massage, meditation, and they use that in addition to what we already know uh, is proven to help with uh, cancer care in an effort to make people's quality of life better. Mm. That really brings credibility to complementary care and the options that are available to people beyond just you know what we understand for as chemo and radiation and those kinds of steps yeah so um as an osteopathic doctor tell me what that brings to the table that may be different than from um other types of medicine yeah, so just as a, as a brief intro to osteopathic medicine, I think a lot of people may not know the difference between allopathic physicians and osteopathic physicians, and the differences aren't very many. Um, we both practice conventional medicine. We go through medical school. We do the many times the same kind of residency programs at the same kinds of institutions, but it's just that our training in medical school involves um, also learning about a philosophy uh, called osteopathic manipulative medicine, where you use manual manipulations and you kind of um, gain skills to scan a, a patient's body and f uh, figure out where they have these somatic dysfunctions. And the, and the idea is that all of our bodies have the capability of healing themselves if um, we can kind of help to correct those dysfunctions. So using our own hands, we call it palpation, we can uh, palpate a, an area of a patient's body and kind of see that, oh, this area has a spasm. Um, and then using certain kinds of techniques, you can release that spasm. But at the same time, it's not you necessarily curing that, you as the physician. It's you helping that patient's body facilitate healing uh, because our bodies are capable of this and it's proven. Mm -hmm. That's an important uh, kind of a paradigm shift for a lot of people, I think, that what you're wanting to do in the healing process is create an environment in which your body can heal. Yeah, and, that and may, it's possible. <laughs> and it is possible. And that may be in, you know, that different uh, types of physicians as well as, you know, I think even at creating an environment with music or, or other 
techniques that might really allow your body to relax and allow a more healing environment. Um, you and I talked some about meditation and um, other types of uh, care that can be provided. Would you talk to me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So one of the things that I never knew until I started kind of researching this on my own and I started uh, writing papers on it is um, how people can just use simple imagery. You don't have to be trained in this. You can actually just um, kind of start off. If you're one of those people who likes to use alternative means of pain control, you can, when you're in a situation of pain, even if it's very severe, even if you're already using opioids, you can kind of sit down and try to picture something positive when you're having that experience. And it's it's been proven in many studies that having that positive picture in your mind and distracting yourself in that way can actually decrease your kind of the inflamed emotions you normally have for this pain. And you end up having less distress. You end up having um, less actual sensation of pain down the line when you continuously make this a habit of kind of having that positive image in your head when you're going through pain mm -hmm. and it's something phenomenal that you don't have to be trained in this you just have to it's simple mm -hmm. and you just have to try it and it works it does it does work well and, and you mentioned a real goal for you is to decrease patient suffering and, and patient suffering is really different than pain Yes, because patient suffering involves so many other things. It involves how your family's feeling. It involves the fact that your functional capacity is decreased because of your cancer. You're not able to do the same kinds of things anymore. You have muscle wasting. It, there's just so many things that go into patient suffering when you're, you're diagnosed. Uh -huh. how, do you, how do you approach pain medicine with patients? So in general, when we talk about it, there definitely is a taboo with giving too much pain medication in a hospital setting mm -hmm. and also in a clinic setting um, because of the fears of the bad side effects and one of the big ones that many of us know about being addiction mm -hmm. um, and just using more than you need. And so what I like to do and what I've been taught so far in residency is that you treat people's pain as real unless you have obvious um, kind of indicating factors that this person is a, a, a pain seeker, uh, a pill seeker. Right. Yeah. So you, you treat their pain as real and you prescribe them opioids accordingly. And then you continue that for about a day or two, especially if we're talking about inpatient population and you calculate their needs for say a 24 hour period. And then you kind of adjust from there. If they're not needing as much as you're prescribing them, you can go down on it. If they're needing more, you can go up on it, but give them extended forms of release and then offer them these kind of alternative methods that I'm talking about, mm -hmm. incorporating inpatient exercise regimens and having physical therapy or occupational therapy working with them. Um, and that oftentimes does help people. And I saw that Memorial Sloan too while I was there. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. So, you know, a lot of times when people have a new diagnosis, particularly, everybody's kind of spinning and, you know, not sure what direction to go, even though a, a lot of times, I mean, according to the statistics, there's a chance that will get cancer. But when it actually happens to us, it's hard to know what steps to take and, and what kind of team to put together to support us. Now, not everybody's going to have an integrative medicine uh, clinic to use as a resource, but um, what advice would you give 
people who um, are looking for other ways to support their bodies in the healing process as they respond to various treatments for cancer? That's a really good question because, it, you know, in an ideal world, it, I can say all these things and you're absolutely right. Everybody doesn't have the same kind of resources and um, having it's great that we have institutes, especially in New York, um, available for, for patients. But in an area where they don't necessarily have these kinds of resources, I would actually say that using the internet is extremely helpful. We're going to include in uh, the many links to this talk, one being um, an integrative medicine website of Memorial Sloan. And it allows free downloads, free instructions uh, for a variety of techniques, depending on what a particular patient or family member is interested in. And and so I think starting off that way, you don't necessarily need to have someone instructing you exactly in what to do. If you just go to the website, if you click into, let's say, the meditation category, and they give you a 20-minute uh, meditation background music download, and they explain to you how to do something like body scanning, which they actually do do on this website, but they also have on the internet in general, where you lie down and you just spend um, a number of minutes scanning yourself from head to toe and kind of going through every sensation you're feeling very systematically. Um, and using a technique like that is fully described there. And it, it proves um, to kind of help us uncouple the dimensions of emotional and, and cognitive from sensory and help with pain relief and also in general well-being of cancer patients. So that's one option. Using the internet for sure can be very helpful. A valuable resource for sure. Um, another website, and I'll put this on the episode page too, is, is healthyjourneys.com. And that is... Um, Great guided imageries by uh, Bell Ruth Napperstack, and many of those are uh, related specifically to cancer or chemo or surgery, and uh, they're well studied and and very beneficial to people. But as you go onto the internet, it can be so overwhelming because there is so much information out there. And one of the things that I often recommend is that that if a patient is not able to do that research for themselves to, to get a trusted family member or friend to, to research on their behalf and somebody who really knows them well and can say, you know, I think this is a good fit. This is something you might consider people um, that are surrounding and supporting somebody who is not, not well, want something of real valuable value that is meaningful to the person. And I, I think researching can be a very helpful um contribution. A hundred percent. Like we talked about earlier, you're absolutely right. Having that extra set of ears at any given patient appointment, even at home when you are doing this research, um, helps people have this unbiased kind of point of view and also someone out there who wants good for them, but at the same time can help them filter thoughts and organize thoughts. Um, so it's really helpful to have a family member or friend nearby. Yeah, exactly. Communi community is really important. Yes. I always <laughs> encourage people to invest in community all the time because we um, we need each other. 
Zaza and Bain, sorry, you just reminded me of something. Zaza and Bain actually did a study where they showed um, there were actually greater amounts of pain in populations who had lower levels of social support. So that's why it's, it's and this is specifically, again, in, in the context of cancer, but that's why it's so important that even if you don't have family nearby, to even use cancer support groups, which exist, other people going through the same thing, they may not be blood related, you may not have ties to them from childhood, but having social support is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you just reminded me of that. Yeah, and I that's critical. That. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, for sure. Now, you've also done some research in organ sparing radiation therapy. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so when uh, people look into treatments for cancer, one of the obvious options is getting radiation therapy. And this work that I've done in the past has been um, looking at radiation therapy in the context of lung cancer patients. And what we did, I worked with a doctor, a radiation oncologist at Good Samaritan Hospital, Dr. Cow, and he... um, looked at how uh, using radiation in lung cancer patients uh, can often affect other organs of your body other than just the area we're trying to target. And so what we wanted to do is try something called organ sparing radiation therapy, which will specifically target only that area or try our best to target only that area that has the tumor or the cancer, and then uh, avoid kind of spreading the radiation to, say, near nearby structures like the esophagus or stomach. Um, And then in doing this, the benefit of specifically focusing on that kind of treatment is that you're reducing the painful complications that can come from these treatment measures. Sometimes for people pursuing treatments like chemotherapy and radiation, the side effects are worse and the palliative uh, kind of benefits they could get from it are not enough for them to even want to pursue it. So that's the benefit of doing something like organ sparing radiation where you specifically target only that area, you refrain from targeting nearby structures in hopes of decreasing painful complications after the fact. And one example being esophagitis that you can get, even though you have no cancer in your esophagus, you end up affecting your esophagus Mm -hmm. and have painful swallowing after, um, you have difficulty eating, and we kind of want to save patients from that complication. Wow, that's great. Well, and that is, again, something that people need to research as they're choosing the approach that they're going to take with their own treatment. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of times when people get a diagnosis, there's all this urgency to just find a doctor and start start treatment. But there really are a lot of options that need to be considered uh, as they move forward. Yeah, it's really overwhelming. And honestly, the statistics being like 1.6 million of us um, have like new diagnoses of cancer each year with like half a million actually passing away. So it's so overbearing. Um, But again, the resources are out there and it's just a matter of seeking them out. Great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And having help to do that. So you're really taking a holistic approach. You're really looking at you're a team member on a bigger team that is going to help this patient. So you're bringing in um, a whole host of other people, counselors, therapists, trainers, um, and really encouraging the family to be a part of treatment, um, as well as the patient. Do you have any 
um, stories or experiences of, that you've had that might um, give us a, a window into what that's like for you as a physician or for the family? Yeah. So, um, there's one, there's actually a number of stories I could think of, but there's one that always, uh, sticks out in my head. And, and this involved a 54 year old female. She had metastatic breast cancer. I met her while I was at Memorial Sloan Kettering. Um, she had been admitted because of something called recurrent pleural effusions. Um, so she has breast cancer that had spread and it was causing her to have built up a fluid in her lungs um, that had been drained in the past, but it, it, this kind of kept happening to her again and again. 54 is not very old, you know, compared to our standards today. We're very functional at that age. But she had honestly reached a point where um, kind of, if you looked at her prognosis, it was very poor. And we had to have a conversation with the family about, in general, her code status and, and goals of care, um, what they wanted to do for her. We can continue to drain the these effusions from her, but her hospital admissions were becoming recurrent. These uh, effusions kept happening. She was at a point where she couldn't even talk to us anymore, the patient that is. And so the reason why this story sticks out to me in particular is because once we had that conversation with the family, um, we did bring up the idea of integrative medicine to them, especially as a palliative measure. It doesn't always have to involve end of life when you bring up uh, integrative medicine or when you bring up palliative care. Right. Um, and you're probably really familiar with that, that it's more about alleviating people's pain and kind of controlling their symptoms at that time without necessarily finding a cure for the root problem. It's about making that person comfortable in that time being. Mm -hmm. And that's what we wanted for her, for this woman who was, you know, very talkative, very funny, just a week prior to admission, and now was at a point where she wasn't even able to talk to her family. Her family members were there on a daily basis. Her daughters flew in from other states. They would cry in front of us every day. It was just a really difficult situation to deal with. But when we offered them kind of these alternative measures, we had a music therapist come in. Mm -hmm. We had somebody do massage therapy on the patient, and this, again, was every single day. It was called in, it, we actually called in a consult for integrative medicine and the kind of effect it had on the family's well-being. It was phenomenal. The patient herself, the moaning that she would do the days prior that stopped. And it kind of was an indication that she might actually be feeling better. Um, she, uh, like her, she was just more alert than she had been before we offered her any of these therapies. And that story just always sticks out to me because I remember having a session actually crying with the family. We were hugging it out and we didn't even know each other beforehand. Mm. Um, so it's really phenomenal what, you know, when you see the prognosis is so poor and if you could just offer them any kind of relief that, that would bring peace to the patient and peace to the family, mm. it's just so rewarding for everyone involved. Yeah, oh, that's a great story. Story. And I think it changes the energy in the room so that everybody can kind of relax a little bit. And, and for caregivers, it's okay for them to get a massage too. Yeah. And, you know, anything that they need to kind of keep their strength up and support themselves in the process. It, it's hard work being a caregiver. And um, a lot of the attention is often, of course, on the patient. But um, it, that's why what I love about palliative care, I think, um, every patient should have palliative care. I, should, you know, <laughs> I don't think it should be limited to a few because of the way it approaches um, the whole person. It's spiritual, mental, emotional, 
physical everything and um that that's a beautiful way to be treated in whatever way you know we've talked about cancer and i know you're um in your residency and not specifically working with cancer right now but all these i mean i'm sure you are to some extent but that's not your primary focus um in your residency but right all of these things apply to people with any kinds of illnesses would you say a hundred percent. It just happens to be really well studied in cancer patients because of the, the the qualities about cancer that we discussed earlier. But you're absolutely right. Pain management in any kind of patient population, or just kind of um, emotional health in any kind of pa- patient population diagnosed with any disease. All of these concepts apply. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you again for being with us, Dr. Zahid. <laughs> what is there anything else that you you know, would like to add or share with our listeners before we go? I think that for everyone listening right now, whether they're healthcare providers, kind of researchers, academics, um, the the number of roles that... that we all have in this world. It's just so interesting that if we just look at how our relationship and how healthy uh, we interact with uh, the people we meet on a daily basis, how much of an effect that can have. People have all this trust in, in us when we provide care to them and it really improves their compliance. And if we could just educate ourselves about alternative ways to provide them relief, I think it's just an overall greater benefit, not only for the patient and their quality of life, but also for us and and pursuing these kinds of careers on a daily basis. It's just really, in the grand scheme of things, um, makes the world a better place. Very well said. Thank (laughs) Thank you, you. Dr. Sumbal Zahid, for being a part of Faces of Pain Care. Thank you so much. And listeners, we would love to hear from you. Please visit our website at wongbakerfaces.org or email us at wongbakerfaces at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us today and thank you for making a positive difference in someone's life. This has been another great episode of Faces of Pain Care. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss any of the new episodes. And be sure you check our previous shows for more information that will keep you informed and inspired.